I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Wow. What a way to end the 2017-18 NFL season. Uh, On Sunday, the Philadelphia Eagles defeated the New England Patriots 41-33 to get their first ever Super Bowl victory. Uh, and the first championship in a long time for the city of the well-deserving, of course, city of Philadelphia. Uh, let's get into the game. There's so many things to talk about from this one. Uh, but first, I guess, just what, what a game. Uh, for all the reasons we're going to talk about, I've heard some people call this game the best football game ever. Uh, and of course we're always, uh, what's the phrase, prisoners of the moment. Like we think that the thing that just happened is the best ever thing. But I mean, this was a really good game. This one's going to go down as one of the good, one of the great Super Bowls, uh, for sure. Just based on the sheer numbers of it all. And I guess the game itself, because it didn't look like too big of a headline grabbing matchup coming in, but this one was a lot of fun. Um, it had everything, uh, had a, it was back and forth. It was drama coming down to the very last play. If you're a casual observer, if you're one of the hundred some odd million people watching this, uh, you did not miss out. And this could bring people into football. I mean, that's how fun this game was. Uh, and we're going to issue the game summary a little bit because I'm assuming most of you guys uh, know what happened or were watching the game. In some form or fashion, whether it be TV, radio, uh, whatever. But I think the biggest, one of the big takeaways from this game, the MVP of this game, Nick Foles, coming in clutch. Um, all game, actually. He made, he was really on the dot, pinpoint passes and everything. Uh, there was the pass to uh, Alshon Jeffrey to get the touchdown scoring started. Kind of break the seal of the Patriots defense a little bit, going over the top over Eric Rowe, uh, who started mysteriously in place of Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler didn't play uh, a single snap, but it's not the point right now. Um, but taking top off the defense, making great throws to, uh, I think it was Clory, uh, or uh, Clement uh, in the back of the end zone to give the uh, Eagles a bigger lead and just a dime, dropped it right in the breadbasket. Uh, and he also didn't make key mistakes all game, which was something you have to do in a shootout like this and against a Patriots team that didn't actually punt all game, just a few turnovers. And he really proved his poise uh, in a six-plus-minute drive to go ahead 38-33 after trailing for the first time all game by one point, and that drive included a fourth-down conversion. Uh, it's really hard to do what Foles did. I mean... We kind of lose sight of it just because these guys are like superhuman uh, and they're tough and they can make great throws and everything. But in this kind of pressure, in this kind of environment, even for a veteran like Foles, it's really hard to do this. And he stepped up and made the plays despite coming in the middle of the season. And it's hard to just say how good of a performance this was because this guy had the odds stacked against him all postseason. Uh, He was not favored in any of the three games he played in the playoffs. Everyone doubted him, saying he didn't have any experience, and yet here he comes and puts on a show. And I think, as a result of this, he's really going to get his bread in the offseason. Uh, this is Carson Wentz's team, this Philadelphia Eagles team. 
And a lot of teams could use a guy like Nick Foles, who's a veteran. Uh, we've seen he, he has poise. And he's an experienced uh, quarterback. And a lot of teams like the Browns or teams with QBs aging out like the Giants, they could use a quarterback like this to get them back on the right track uh, offensively and just as a team as a whole. I think Nick Foles and the Eagles offense were also boosted by phenomenal play calling by Doug Peterson and his staff. Uh, I really liked some of the routes they decided to use. Um, in particular, the little wheel routes around the outside, and then the commentators were saying RPOs run pass options all day. Uh, and what these routes do when you have guys running around the outside, it allows you to get guys that normally wouldn't be involved in these type of sideline catches, get them involved, like their explosive running backs that they have. They have multiple ones of those. Uh, particularly Clement, who had a breakout game. And... What you do is you get these guys going down the sideline. It'll, it, these deep throws, they break open the defense, and they're not too hard throws for the quarterback. Uh, some of them were wide open. And it also, by going down the, the sidelines, you also break open the defense that allows for chunk plays over the middle, like we saw in the final drive, where it allows guys to sit in the middle of the offense because they're afraid of the sideline routes, not only from the wide receivers, but possibly from running backs. And that really benefits uh, the offense, and that's some great gutsy play calling also uh, on fourth down in the red zone right before the half uh, the Eagles ran a trick play that I loved it was a double reverse to a pass to Nick Foles for a touchdown and once again that was on fourth down uh, it's hard to like like Nick Foles performance it's hard to explain how gutsy that was uh, the Patriots had momentum at that point they had just scored a touchdown to bring the Eagles lead within three and if the Patriots get a stop there, they're, they, they still have 30 seconds left for starters to try to score again. And also, they start with the ball in the, they started with the ball in the second half and would also score a touchdown on their first drive. So this touchdown was crucial because the Patriots could still put them at bay for a little bit, up down 10 points and not letting them take the lead. And also it kind of halts their momentum that they were gaining. Because once the Patriots get on a roll, they're kind of unstoppable. Also, fourth down conversions in general, the Eagles had two of them, the one on the final drive, like I said, and then the one here. That kind of breaks the morale of the defense because when you get to fourth down, you're used to being able to come off the field and give your offense the ball again and get some rest. But when, when you reverse the script and then make them play another four downs or score a touchdown against them, that's brutal because they know that they had a chance to stop you and make you come away with no points, and yet they couldn't. And also, uh, fourth downs tire out the defense. I know it didn't in this case because it was a touchdown. But with, with things like the final drive, uh, when you convert a fourth down, it, it not only hurts them psychologically, but it hurts them physically because now they know they have to play another four downs and they get tired, and that allows you to march down the field against them like the Eagles would do. Now, to all this point of praising the Eagles, uh, the Patriots stayed close throughout this entire game. And they even took the lead toward the end of the game. Uh, like Tom Brady, who was a big talking point coming into this game, uh, he struggled early on. And I think this storyline kind of faded throughout the rest of the uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. But going into the AFC Championship game, Tom Brady's hand was a big story because of his possibly injuring it uh, and all that stuff. And during the Super Bowl, his hand was not 100%. Like, there was still a cut there. And I think that had 
that came into play a little bit with some of his struggling early on because he threw behind like three or four guys uh, early in that in the Super Bowl, and I think his hand had something to do with it. But nonetheless, he's Tom Brady. Came back strong, uh, led his team down the field a couple of times. Like I said, never had to punt. And he's really Tom Brady is really one of the greatest of all time. I know everyone's saying he is the greatest of all time already. Uh, I'm not. I, I never saw Joe Montana or Joe Namath or Johnny Unitas or any of those guys, but I don't know if we're willing to put him up there yet, but he has to be one of the toughest, especially ha- at his advanced age, uh, he has to be the greatest at 40. I don't know anyone else who can do what he did, throw for 500-plus yards in a Super Bowl, no less, against a really tough defense uh, at age 40 with a partially injured hand. It's just ridiculous the type of things he can do. Uh, And also, the Patriots' O-line was able to keep the Eagles' pass rush kind of at bay. They were getting pressure on Brady, but they weren't sacking him, at least until the very end of the game. Um, And this this lack of a pass rush allowed Tom Brady to get into a groove kind of in the middle of the game, second and third quarter, or more the third quarter, uh, early fourth. But he really came back uh, on offense, scoring 21 points in the second half, and that gave time for the or for him to go and take the lead. Uh and that was a, a a great job by the Patriots offensive line at least till the very end, which we'll talk more about later. Also, uh Rob Gronkowski was just a beast in this game. He liked Brady, he was recovering from an injury, uh his concussion that he got sustained in the AFC Championship game after that hit by Brady or Barry Church. And he really showed big fight in this game. He was pretty much his usual self, especially once we got to the second half where he was pretty much unstoppable. Uh, he scored two touchdowns, including one on the fade that you kind of know is coming. When the Patriots in the red zone, you have Gronk isolated on one side. You know a fade's coming because there's no one in the offense that can, or no one on any defense that can stop him if he just boxes you out or if he just uses his physicality to get to the back, to the back of the end zone and force you out before you can. Uh, and also, on the final drive, he pretty much single-handedly got the Patriots in Hail Mary range, uh, just with some quick dump-offs and some runs that he both got out of bounds, showing situational football ability and also just the brute force of being able to run through people. Um, Rob Gronkowski, I don't know where he's going to go after this year, if he's going to remain a Patriot or whatever, but he's got so much talent and just the athleticism is ridiculous. Um, meanwhile, on the flip side of the coin, the Eagles' defense uh, really stepped up when they needed to in this game. Uh, they they struggled all game against Tom Brady and getting pressure on him and everything, but man, when they when they had to on that last two minutes in the last two minutes, they had the strip sack of Brady, of course, and that was actually the only sack, believe it or not, of the entire game. I think from either side, uh, and if, it could never come a more crucial time in a more crucial game. And I think for me at least, what made this sack particularly amazing was that. It seemed like, at least for me, everyone thought Brady was going to win it. Like, NBC showed the stat that was like, he's led in the Super Bowl, he's led like five or more, or five uh, game-time, game-winning drives. And I thought, at least, I was like, oh, God, here he goes again. After the Eagles missed the two-point conversion that would have put them up seven, it's like, well, this game is over. Brady's going to come back. Uh, He's going to score them a touchdown. Patriots are going to win their sixth Super Bowl. And then on the second play of that, I think it was the second play of that drive, here they come and get a strip sack. And I think going back to at least my mentality, I know I was watching with friends, some of my friends' mentality, it's like the mental aspect of being able, getting that sack and being able to stop Brady 
is almost the hardest part, breaking that spell of invincibility. Like, look, we can do this. We can stop this guy. And that makes this this play by Brandon Graham and just by the Eagles getting pressure on Tom Brady, forcing him to step up in the pocket, and he was being taken down as he, as he tried to throw the ball. And then the recovery also, just all that pressure is what makes this strip sack so great and will go down as probably the most famous play from this game. Uh, also, the Eagles' defense came up uh, huge on the final, final drive of the game where the Patriots had a Hail Mary and a chance to tie the game. Uh, he was under pressure in the first three downs of that drive where he had to throw three incompletions before getting a fourth down conversion. And he wasted precious seconds during those three plays, and the Eagles' defense, to their credit, really stepped up and got pressure on him and forced him into a Hail Mary at the end of the game. So the Eagles' defense, uh, I think they were second in the league all year. Uh, even though they struggled, they showed up when they needed to. And that was a huge part of Philadelphia getting the Super Bowl win. Uh, another thing that I observed from this game, uh, the Patriots really made some non-Patriots-like plays, non-Patriots-y plays. And I think uh, people, other people observe that too because you normally don't see the Patriots make mistakes. And if they do, they're football plays. They're just, they just got beat. They didn't hurt themselves. But in this game, they did that multiple times, and any of these things could have changed the game. Uh, in the first quarter, they missed a field goal because of a low snap uh, that was mishandled. Not necessarily, it's not the, the holder's fault at all, which is punter Ryan Allen. And it wasn't Goskowski's fault, who almost, like, e-fisted it in. It just went off the crossbar. But you don't see the Patriots m- 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 bungling these type of plays. They also missed an extra point, which was Goskowski's fault. Now, Steven Goskowski is one of the best kickers in the National Football League. He doesn't normally miss extra points. So those were those were some unpatriotsy things. Also, the fact that the Eagles converted two fourth down conversions. The Patriots are normally the kings of of uh, position uh, situational football, and just knowing when to get key stops. And the Eagles converted two fourth downs, and both of those fourth downs, those drives would end in touchdowns. One of them was a touchdown where the Patriots just totally lost track of Nick Foles, even though they had run a similar trick play earlier that was unsuccessful, where Tom Brady dropped the ball. They had to have known, once they saw the reverse, that Nick Foles was going to kind of leak out into the flat. And they had, I watched the play over and over, they literally had no one watching the quarterback and no one was within the vicinity of Nick Foles. That's not a Patriots and Matt Patricia type thing to do. Uh, and also the fourth down on the final drive, uh, that, that was just a great play designed by the Eagles, but still, it's not like the Patriots to give up those fourth downs. Uh, also, like I said, the trick play end around, I think that Brady dropped, that would have gone for at least 20 yards and probably led to some kind of score, whether that would have been a field goal or a touchdown. And that was a key, that was at a key point in the game where the Philadelphia Eagles were starting to build their lead. Uh, and yet the Patriots couldn't respond. And that's pretty, and that's a pretty key drop, uh, because they would eventually turn the ball over on downs. And if they score there, who knows what happens next? Like, the Eagles don't have the same flexibility to run their trick play, and then the Patriots come out, smash them in the mouth at halftime, or after halftime in the second half. Who knows what happens if Brady catches that ball, but that was a big mistake that you don't normally see by the Patriots. And finally, uh, on the last kickoff before their final drive, they started from the 9-yard line because they tried to reverse on that last play, and it went miserably. I think they lost about... 5 to 10 yards, and also 5 seconds, crucial seconds, 
and that basically ended the game. I know they were hoping to break it off for a big game, but that's not like the Patriots to experiment and try new things. I know you're supposed to be unpredictable, but that's not the Patriot way to to do that in the Super Bowl with such little time left to waste time like that. That's not situational football, and that's not normally what the Patriots do. And I don't know why they tried this out. Also, benching Malcolm Butler, who this stat was thrown around all yesterday. He played 97.8% of the Patriots' snaps uh, during the season. He did not start in this game or play a single snap. Uh, instead, Eric Rowe played, and he was exploited all game. He got a touchdown thrown over the top to Alshon Jeffrey and a couple other plays. Uh, so I don't know what the what Belichick was thinking or what Matt Patricia was thinking, um, but Malcolm Butler should have played in that game, and he probably could have made a difference in that game, considering even though or how close it was at the end of the at the end of the day. Uh, also. Just a non-Patriotsy thing, and also a non-Eaglesy thing. Just given the gist of their defense, I want to draw attention to the stat. It's kind of a non-secular, but this game had the most total yards of offense in any game in NFL history. Not not most in the Super Bowl, not most in the postseason, most in NFL history. And there was one punt in the entire game. I don't get how how they put up the record for most yards. Uh, the score was pretty high, but that's. I guess now that looking back on it, there was just offense all game. This was an offense lover's dream. And I don't know if this is the trend we're going to be seeing in Super Bowls, but the whole phrase defense win championship kind of took a hit here. Uh, anyway, that's that's a stat that I wanted to say. Um, but also, uh, just looking forward into the future, uh, the Patriots, as per usual, will be back uh, going into uh, the years to come. Tom Brady, despite the loss and despite all the talk of the Patriots dynasty ending, uh, he had a phenomenal game. It's like I say, threw for 500 yards, multiple touchdowns, uh, no picks, one fumble, and that's it. And he also didn't have Julian Edelman for much of this year. Uh, this is going out beyond the Super Bowl itself. Uh, and Tom Brady, once the team is back at full strength, Gronk and himself and Julian Edelman, uh, this team is just as potent. And with the rise of Danny Amendola and Chris Hogan, this team is going to be humongously potent next year with all the weapons they have, assuming everyone comes back. The defense, meanwhile, is a different story. They're going to need to improve. Uh, I don't know if this Super Bowl, how much Malcolm Butler had to do with it, but once he's back at full healthy or off his suspension or whatever the reason he didn't play is, they're going to be better. But nonetheless, this defense could be an Achilles heel for the Patriots. Uh, they lost early in the season to the Chiefs in part because of that, or a lot because of that. They lost this Super Bowl much because of the defense. And if they can't get that fixed, they could be like the Cavs right now in the NBA who are really struggling, uh, who are just like 9 or 10 games over 500 and in the 3 seed. Um, if, they, if, the, if the Patriots can't figure out their defense, that could be the area where teams could take them down year after year. And I don't think they want that, and they're going to have to make improvements in the secondary especially. Um, meanwhile, the Eagles, they will be back as well. Uh, much of their key guys are signed up long-term, like a lot of their receiving core and their running backs and their uh, secondary. And also Carson Wentz, they have a franchise quarterback, a quarterback of the future, and it is just his second year, really one and a half years after the injury, and he will have even more time to develop his skills off the field, reading defenses, uh, reading coverages. And he almost had an MVP year this year, and it's awesome to think about what he could do in the future. Also, they have tons of skill position depth that will be returning uh, at wide receiver. You've got Aguilar and Jeffrey and um, 
Clement and Ertz. And at the running back, you have Ajayi and Blunt, who are new additions this year. And they're not going to sit on their laurels and be pleased with the Super Bowl win. They're going to try to look to expand their team. And that's why I think, uh, according to Vegas Superbook, they're the second favorite or the second highest favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. And I think it's rightfully so. Also, number one is New England, of course. Uh, and so this club can really be great on both ends of the ball. And they're going to be back in the playoffs. Maybe not necessarily to the Super Bowl just because of the nature of the playoffs. But they're going to be back in this position again another time. So that is a 20-minute spiel about the Super Bowl. It was a great game. Uh, I don't think, or I think the NFL next year is going to be fun. Uh, with all the talk that's going to be coming up about the XFL and the NFL fixing the catch rule and the draft coming up soon. It's a good draft class. I'm excited for the NFL season to come. And this was a good season to wrap up on. Now, actually, we're going to do things a little bit out of order and put shout-outs right now because we have some Super Bowl edition shout-outs. There's only a few, but they're like the mold of this segment. They're things that I wanted to talk about but didn't deserve a full three-minute little spiel during the Super Bowl part. Uh, first of all, a shout-out, huge shout-out to Minneapolis. That's how you pronounce it, right? Um, they hosted a great controversy-free Super Bowl despite all the stuff in the lead-up to the game about, like, denying Eagles fans hotel rooms, stuff like that. Uh, We didn't see anything go wrong with this game at all. No roof collapsed, uh, no violence in the stands. And they set the stage for a phenomenal football game. Uh, And their team, don't worry, Vikings fans, they got to the NFC Championship game this year, and their team will be back on this stage soon. It's too bad they couldn't have a home Super Bowl. That would have been so exciting. But nonetheless, uh, shout out to them. Also, shout out to Carson Wentz because he, especially we, uh, any time the camera panned to him after Nick Foles did something good, he's been nothing but supportive for Nick Foles during this great run that he's had becoming the star of the team in the last couple of weeks. And it's the team is still Carson Wentz's, and he's going to inherit a really good, confident team next fall. And the sky's the limit for him, like, like I said already. Uh, also, a shout out to the refs. Uh, with all the controversy about the catch rule and becoming a runner and just everything with the ref and the Patriots were in this game, and of course there's always controversy with the Patriots, they called a clean game, no foul play, no horrible blatant calls, um, and then they, they, were, they were not afraid to have calls stand and not feel the urge to reverse them or anything. And they also avoided catch rule controversy with, uh, I think, the Ertz catch at the end of the game where he took a few steps, tripped over McCourty, and then the ball popped loose. Um, hopefully this is the last game with the this iteration of the catch rule that has drawn so much controversy, but fortunately in the Super Bowl, they were able to avoid um, having any major talking points about the refereeing. We're just talking about the game. And I think that's good for the game as a whole because they say about refs and umpires the only time when they're good uh, is when you don't see them there. And I think that's what happened in this game. Uh, so shout-out to the refs for doing their jobs. And that's the shout-outs for Super Bowl Sunday. Now, the only other major topic today is the Alex Smith trade. Uh, if you didn't know, the Redskins sent Alex Smith to the Chiefs in exchange for Kendall Fuller, a cornerback, and a third-round pick. Um... I think this trade is interesting because the Redskins really gave up a lot uh, just to avoid paying Kirk Cousins. I mean, 
Alex Smith is 33 years old, so his upside could really be limited, and we already know what he can do, and you're getting just that in exchange for Kirk Cousins. Also, the Chiefs uh, get two young guys that the Redskins also gave up, Kendall Fuller, who's only 22, and a pick, of course, will be young. And they get to join a consistent contender. And they're giving up all of that just to avoid paying Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'm curious to see what will happen to Cousins. Because we knew that he wanted a big multi-year deal. And now that San Francisco has a quarterback, uh, this is going to open up a bunch of new markets for Kirk Cousins. Because San Francisco was supposedly one of the major players for Kirk Cousins uh, in the market. But they have Garoppolo, so they don't need him anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him. Uh, it's going to be impossible, I think, for him to live up to the hype that he's built up in this free agency period, uh, thanks to his contract situation. But he's going to get a lot of money from whatever team decides to get him, whether that be, we talk about the Giants, uh, or, I don't know, some other team that needs a quarterback to get them either back to contention or over the hump. Uh, they're going to have to pay him a lot of money because he's built that leverage by being a good quarterback for Washington. On the Chiefs' side... Um, Patrick Mahomes is now the franchise quarterback for the Chiefs. Uh, and that's an interesting decision because he hasn't had much experience. Uh, he's not, he's just, uh, I think, a year out of Texas Tech. Uh, and he hasn't had much time to get starting experience at the pro level. But in the last game of the regular season, he did show a lot of raw talent. Uh, some people saying, like, maybe they should have started him in the playoff game. Actually, not really, but it would have been uh, fun to see. But it is a lot of pressure on a young kid. Uh, and the other, his teammates are going to have to pick up the slack, especially in the preseason and the early going. Uh, they've got a young running back as well, Kareem Hunt, so not much experience in the backfield. Uh, even though you've got a lot of raw talent, uh, you don't have much NFL time. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be developing as a consistent option for the Chiefs, whether it be Hunt or Mahomes or whoever. Um, and I think the Chiefs actually, because of all this, might take a step back next year. But still, long term, this is a good move to go from the older Smith to the younger blossoming Mahomes. And you kind of feel bad for Alex Smith a little bit because this has happened to him before. Uh, in 2012, when he was injured, Colin Kaepernick ended up taking his job. And then Alex Smith would be subsequently sent to the Chiefs. And now it's happened again uh, where he has been sent to Washington as Mahomes comes up. And I think it's interesting because teams don't see Alex Smith as a quarterback to necessarily build around, and it's odd that the, Red, the Redskins would be so desperate to get him um, and be willing to give up so much for him despite him being a quarterback that teams don't really want as a franchise QB that you spend years getting young guys to, to develop your quarterback. So, interesting trade. Um, I think the Redskins and the Chiefs will... I don't know which team really benefited from this trade in the short term, but long term, definitely great trade uh, on behalf of the Chiefs. Ooh, this quick take uh, is really interesting. It's a quick take. Hello. Um, but the Lakers have been fined $50,000 for vi violating the NBA's anti-tampering rules with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, I'm uh, not an expert at all by any stretch of the imagination on the NBA's tampering laws, but I, they're there uh, essentially so teams can't just be like recruiting people all the time and, and like formally with like managers being like, okay, like when they're on their contract with another team. So they can't be like, uh, okay, you're on this team, but like come to this team 
uh, and we'll pay you a ton of more money and stuff like that. You can't have your official team execs going to guys who are playing for other teams and tampering. Nonetheless, the Lakers got fined for it. Uh, and this kind of informal tampering happens all the time with players being like, uh, you know, come play with us. It'd be cool if we could play together, all that jazz. The media talks to them about it. But formal tampering, you don't see the penalties handed down that often. And I don't know the specifics of this incident, but that means it must have been pretty serious. And I think it's also interesting that the Lakers are going after Giannis. Uh, they're kind of building a, a non-traditional team, I guess to say the least. Kyle Kuzma's kind of a... Uh, or Lonzo Ball is different, but he's you're kind of a traditional point guard, except without the shooting form, which is something that he'll need to develop. Kyle Kuzma's kind of a all-around player. And then Giannis is kind of like the break-the-mold type, the game-breaker the superstar that they would need to kind of hop into playoff contention for real. Um, and I, they're probably using the big market to attract him a little bit. I think Giannis on the Lakers would be uh, an okay fit, but until they get more pieces around him, he would kind of be the ball-dominant player. I think this is an interesting violation, not necessarily because of the violation itself, but the motives behind it. Uh, Giannis seems to be happy in Milwaukee, but ever since the firing of Jason Kidd, I think that put a little wrench in the organization and the players as well. So, uh, interesting violation, interesting fine that this is actually coming down. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the quick take. So, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You know where to check it out. Website, bit.ly slash takes, patreon.com slash thewongtakes, thewongtakes at gmail.com. Send questions, comments, concerns via all of the things. Uh, don't forget, also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts rate the podcast on iTunes, as well as Google Play. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.